0: Hey, everyone. We want to welcome you to the Floater Founder podcast. This is a Toronto-based podcast featuring local founders across all markets. We are your hosts, Samantha Lloyd.
1: And Lyson Casey. We are going to be bringing you interviews with exciting and hardworking founders. They will be sharing their experience creating and leading a company.
0: Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, you're here with Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here with my co host Liz and Casey. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing the co-founders of Founded, Derek Hopfner and Shane Murphy. And they're going to tell us what is Founded.
2: Absolutely, we're really happy to be here today.
3: Yeah, thanks for having us.
2: So Founded is a legal automation platform that makes it really easy for entrepreneurs to start, build, and grow their business. Uh, we're now operational in Ontario, British Columbia, and Alberta. And we've helped uh, thousands of entrepreneurs start their companies and really excited about seeing them grow and uh, kind of help out the economy in terms of really growing small businesses in general.
3: Yeah, the way we position ourselves is we've created an option in the legal industry which mimics what accounting platforms have been doing now for decades. Uh, when you look at like QuickBooks or Zero, we often describe ourselves as the, the QuickBooks for the legal industry because we take these things that are relatively routine repeatable tasks and we make them very easy for entrepreneurs themselves to handle that Uh, they can you do it with a lawyer or some legal professional or they can manage it themselves it's a matter of what they're comfortable with but we provide them the tools to both save money and be successful for these sort of low-level routine legal tasks
0: Mm -hmm. and i loved the platform when um, we used it for the podcast Um, Just being able to have everything in one spot was super helpful. Otherwise, when you're looking up like incorporating, it's just there's a million and one government websites and I find it such a nightmare going through them.
2: Absolutely. That's one of the things we really kind of pride ourselves on is making a really wonderful uh, user experience Mm -hmm. and really trying to simplify legal work so that business owners can get back to building their business Mm -hmm.
3: yeah and we're passionate about entrepreneurs and anything we can do to make entrepreneurs succeed is really you know part of our mission as a company so whether you're doing a podcast whether you're opening a, a retail store or an online store you're going to have some of the same basic legal needs so from our background in in as lawyers we were thinking you know For most of these types of businesses, it's going to be really difficult for them to hire a lawyer and get the support they need. So we started looking at ways of doing that through technology. And that's, I think, our greatest success so far is that thousands of entrepreneurs who might not have otherwise received this sort of legal help have come to us and got it through an online platform.
0: Hmm. And as lawyers, like who love supporting entrepreneurs and who've worked with them a lot over the past few years, what have you noticed that entrepreneurs often overlook when they're starting their company?
2: Yeah, I, I think a lot of the times entrepreneurs, uh, when it comes to legal items, try to find the cheapest item available. So uh, there's a bit of an education piece to communicate the value of spending an extra two to five hundred dollars today, so that they'll save. Two to $5,000 over the next two years. Uh, That communication comes through uh, our education piece on the platform, and our team as a whole is really dedicated to making sure entrepreneurs understand what they're getting and really understand the value uh, over the next number of years that they're going to see by using Founded
1: yeah, I personally, um, a pain point for me is uh, whenever I'm starting a company, you have to move fast. And I always like it's really scary that if you're not incorporated, you can be held personally liable for for something that the company does. Um, What are some other kind of um, legal pain points that a lot of entrepreneurs face uh, with their companies?
3: Yeah, it's a tough question to to answer because there's there's so many ways that might be diff- different for different businesses. But I'll throw out one common thing we see in especially companies with a technology focus or a technology component to their business is just no thought given to the the intellectual property, which in a, a tech driven business is pretty much the substance of your business. You know, intellectual property is your bread and butter, whether you like it th- or not. If that's not the top of mind, but thinking about who created your intellectual property and how is it documented and you know how can you protect that and protect the value of that intellectual property? So things as simple as you hire employees who are building software, building designs, logos, whatever your, your employees are doing for you, taking that extra step of making sure that that intellectual property is owned by the business and there, you won't be subject to a claim five, ten years down the in the future. Once your business has grown and become successful, you don't want these people coming back and saying, wait a minute, I never gave you that website, application, piece of software code, whatever it is. Uh, covering off ownership of intellectual property is you know, one of many examples we could give of things that a small business could get covered off so easily if their minds are turned to it. But I never blame entrepreneurs. They're busy and focused on the important things like building the business that these things can go overlooked.
0: Um, so, being non-technical founders, how did you guys go about building this platform?
3: That's an easy
2: answer for us. Uh, yeah, we're really lucky. Uh, we're two of the three co-founders Founded, uh, and Founded, and our third co-founder, uh, Travis Ouellette, uh is a really experienced software engineer. Uh, He previously built a company and had to exit to Yahoo and managed a team of of 30 at Yahoo in Silicon Valley. So he's brought that experience um, from the Valley up to Toronto and and really informs our engineering practices, um, which has been tremendously helpful for us.
3: But I think it's a problem a lot of really smart, well-intentioned founders have is they want to start a company that whether or not it's a tech startup by the definition of startup they'll need someone with technical skills so the the question we often get from people is you know as non-technical founders how would you go about finding a technical founder if you don't happen to have one that you've been friends with for 20 years as as we did in our case so uh and again i'm asking myself the question and wishing that i had a great answer but it's uh i think that might be the biggest thing of kind of that that could sink a, a startup is people without the technical expertise almost kind of that fake it till you make it uh, mentality sounds great to get you started but if technology is critical to your business you're going to need good talent on on the tech side and there's there's no shortcut for it i think it's it's up to you to find the people and get people excited who can build something to the standards that it that it's going to succeed
1: Every company has to grow really fast, but also stay really lean. How do you know when it's time to hire an employee to do something or when you got to do it all yourself?
2: That's a really great question. I think as a small company, uh, we still think about that a lot. So our company right now is at 11 full time employees and we still treat uh, every employee that we hire as someone that can really make a huge impact to our company. Um, You know, every new employee is still adding another 10%, 15% capacity for us, uh, which is incredible. As a founder, I think you need to balance that. You need to look at your bank account uh, and understand where you have room to grow. Oftentimes, when you're starting a company, you just want to reinvest everything back into the business. So then it's understanding what will provide the most value to your company, uh, both on the short and medium term. And there are
3: examples of early-stage startups doing almost vanity hiring, uh, for lack of a better term. But And, and we're not uh, immune from that. I think we hired, uh, we, we made some strategically misinformed hires at certain stages, filling needs that we didn't really have for example before we had a mature product that was ready to be marketed and sold we thought we needed to hire someone for marketing when we probably should have had a uh, you know a, a moment where we sat back and said wait a minute we we haven't tried to market or sell this thing ourselves so how are we going to know what our sales and marketing team that we want to hire is going to do so uh, that that's another thing i think we've learned is that every hire now is a critically important role on the day they show up in the office. It's not a matter of uh, show up and, and and build your job for you, which I think in a larger, more mature organization makes a lot of sense. You know, show up, you're smart, you're talented, you'll, you'll find a place to fit in. But in, in such a small startup, you, you can't hire abstractly like that. It's really, it can, and it, it's really not glamorous either. Sometimes the, the need might be the phone's ringing too much and there's no one to answer it so you know that's that's going to be in your job description and uh, so far I think we've we've done really well in the uh, the last year or so uh, of hiring for those roles and and also not compromising on people who have been exceptionally driven and uh, and have made the contribution to the organization right
1: away
2: I think you can get the sense that we like our team a lot yeah (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah I mean uh, a startup can grow super fast and it can a lot of times take over your life so how do you find the right balance uh, between like your personal life and your business
2: I don't have a great answer for that Um, I think it's hard as a founder to uh, separate things I think it's important to take steps to separate uh, your business from your personal life or just giving yourself space one thing that I do that uh, I find help is just be physically active, whether that's running or going to the gym uh, or biking, things like that. So I think just taking a moment to be outside uh, is is really important. And I found that to be valuable for me.
3: Yeah, I think it's an an ongoing struggle always. Uh, Previously in my life as a corporate lawyer, it was also a a challenge and a culture around the industry, which uh, didn't value people's personal lives or their personal time very much. So I think trying to go back to that and remember there were some very unhealthy things about that job. And even though now this is my job that I've created for myself through a startup, there's certain patterns and, and habits you get from other unhealthy industries that you don't want to repeat. So I'm always trying to think about you know what really needs to get done, what are the priorities, what what's going to have an impact rather than simply looking for things to do because you think in the back of your mind as a startup founder I should always be doing things. Trying to be a little more focused and strategic is a a skill I'm hoping to get better at over time but I think that's part of the key. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah I I think too when you have uh, a a group around you of other co-owners of the company and if you have that open relationship you can learn a lot and, and have a, a transparency where um, you can ask for help. You can uh, you can also uh, really try to create a culture where uh, there's an openness and, and people feel free and uh, to communicate where people need to hold back or um, people need to do certain things. So I think we've done a really good job uh, with our company of keeping that open relationship. And I think it stems from the fact that the three co-founders, uh, we've all been friends for over 20 years. And uh, that that's key. And kind of tying it back to what we were talking about before with having a technical co-founder, you know, having a technical co-founder is key, but also making sure that you're able to uh, work really well together, both during great times as well as very difficult times is, is super important.
3: Yeah, we've got a sort of un- unusual three-way, 20-year friendship between the three <laughs> founders. Uh, we've all known each other and, and f- separately friends and friends together for a long time. So we've got a lot of personal history to draw upon. We know each, uh, each other very well. Uh, so it's a, it's an unusual situation for startup founders to be quite as close as the three of us were when we got into this. And it, I think it's a strength of the company. It's not necessarily... A requirement I don't think for other I think other people can meet people in simply business context and understand they're compatible but uh, th- that does make our uh, our founding team unique
0: so I would guess from your experience that you would recommend getting into business with friends have you ever had a time where you guys disagree and how have you guys handled that being so open with each other
2: I think we disagree on a, w-
0: <laughs> a weekly basis
2: it'll <laughs> be a
3: terrible day when that happens no we, we yeah, um uh, we 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 disagree constantly. I think we disagree almost intentionally in a way to make sure that we're not uh, blinding ourselves to contrary points of view. Uh, it the, the the friendship helps. I think we can put disagreements behind ourselves relatively easy and move on. And again, focus on what's going to build the business and what, what's truly important.
0: And did the three of you also co-found Law Scout before this?
3: Yeah, Lasco was our first stab at a startup in a way. I, I like to think of it as the MVP or you know, minimal viable product of our legal tech startup idea. It was thrown together quite quickly. Uh, Derek and I had just left our jobs as full-time lawyers, and we wanted to put something in the market to learn about how are people acquiring legal services? What sort of demand and tolerance is there for doing things online? So Lasca was like, uh, in short terms, kind of like Uber for lawyers. We had a roster of lawyers and a menu of things you could get them to to do. You selected from the menu the service you wanted, and then you were assigned a lawyer who would do that at a specific cost. Uh, There are some places where this model has worked out reasonably well. We didn't entirely invent it uh, in larger markets, there's a company in china that does very well on this but i think that's largely because transactional businesses do better when you have over a billion consumers to draw from so lasco didn't succeed but in some ways it did because we didn't build it to succeed if that makes sense the the company was really a a a good way of testing the waters and to learn a lot and we learned enough from operating lasco for about 18 months that we knew there's a lot of small businesses looking for legal services they want to do it online. And a lot of the time, their questions start before day one of the business. When they're still planning it out, they think, I need some guidance. I need some help on the legal side. I don't know where to go. And we thought, knowing what lawyers were actually doing, it was repeatable. It was kind of uh, systematic and logic-driven. So we could build out software that did it very well. So I don't know if we would have got where we ended up without doing Code, but LawScout was... Uh, An interesting way for us to figure out some real basic lessons on running a uh, a startup.
2: I think we learned a ton and and we we really learned a lot around uh, pricing, uh, around subscriptions, and around acquiring and retaining customers. And that really informed the way we built Founded. And I think that's a really good way to think about starting a business, actually, is to have a reasonably good understanding of how you expect to charge your end customer. And the reason why I say that is because it'll inform where you uh, put development time into the product. So if it's something where you imagine the end consumer um, to be a small business and the uh, total cost per year to be maybe something under... One or two thousand dollars, then you're going to build the product in a certain way where it's really easy to um, onboard your business and it's really easy to get set up quickly, and uh, there's not much required from the sales team. But if you have a product where you know the annual cost is going to be in the six figures, then you actually don't need to worry as much about how you're going to onboard the business because you're going to have sales reps who are in charge of that and can take a more hand-holding approach. And then you might take extra time into other portions of the product. So I think that was one of the really key things that we learned with, with Law Scout is, you know, how can we position uh, the platform to succeed from a business perspective as well as from a product perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that it basically gave you the right insights into how to build your next company.
3: Networking too was remarkable. the second we started it, people were Curious about what we're doing. Curious about what our ideas were for this business. So we met a lot of really key people um, before founded existed. Even though founded is much more our, our long term goal for a sustainable business, but. Uh, you know, we even met our eventual early stage investors when we were operating lost code and they weren't deterred by the fact we were doing loss code they would have been much more concerned if we were sitting back meditating all day waiting for a good idea to come by We <laughs> we were out there we were selling something we were meeting with with users uh, that that's what made them uh, kind of gave them the assurances that we were the type of people that could build a real business uh, so uh, I, I don't look back uh, on lost scout with anything except like what an interesting learning experience it was um, and at the end of the day it's it's the same business there's the same three founders who are running it we uh, we rebranded drastically pivoted but I don't again I don't I don't think there was a way to the end goal without that that original uh, start so uh, it was it was critical to getting us here
0: yeah that's really awesome and do you want to talk about um, getting early stage investors or advisors and how that's impacted your company
3: yeah well we can even break up the two uh, that distinction between advisors and investors. Uh, well, I'll talk about maybe advisors, and Derek can switch over to talking about how we how we found uh, early stage investors. But uh, advisors, I think you might think you might you need someone with more of a. A formal role who's going to come in and uh, give you this wisdom, but and we did have a few people who would say, "Oh, I will, I will advise you," and you know, that that that's fine and and goes a certain amount of ways. But we actually I think did much better by just looking at people who we thought had succeeded in some way and you're just approaching them and telling them very honestly, we're trying to build a company. We're not sure exactly where it's going and someone give you good advice. Someone give you bad advice, but we, we listened with a very open mind at, at that time and I think there's almost another challenge as your business matures to to keep- that open mind I, I almost feel like it was only four years ago but we seemed so young and naive at the time the way we would <laughs> we would just hit up anybody and actually listen to them and i I don't think we've listened to anybody in like the last you know eighteen months or so <laughs> except ourselves but um but but that that's it the advisors that the best advisors were the, really the ones who would never say "I am going to advise you they're the ones who'd uh, share war stories and and give objective advice to us without uh, any formal role. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I think the other thing for early stage uh, entrepreneurs and and founders is to look at other peers that are building businesses. I know we've all um, gone for individual coffees, all three founders with different founders, um, and just picking their brains on how they decided to market their product in this fashion or how they built company culture this way. Um, I, know, I was just on a call earlier this week with, uh, an early stage founder that had those questions for us. So I think that's really important. And I think when you are early stage, those are the ones where you can really learn a lot because they've gone through it very recently Mm -hmm. on the investor side of things. Um, we've we haven't really accepted that much investment money. The um, way that we've approached it is, is one investor actually came, uh, as Shane kind of hinted at, through our, our early uh, stages with Law Scout, um, became aware of us through that work. And then others are just involved with the industry, uh, the legal technology
3: industry. And that's typical for an angel investor. I think if you're looking for an angel investor and you you don't have a mature business you probably aren't making any money who's going to get excited enough to open their wallet and give you money it's not going to be a professional strategic investor they're going to look for metrics in which to invest upon the people who are going to get excited are the ones who for us, for example, they said, the legal industry desperately needs a change. I'm willing to throw money at you guys in the hope that it succeeds. Whether or not it was a, a safe financial bet for them was was second on their list. It was more, they, they wanted to drive change in something they believed in it. And that's how we got the other ones excited. Although I think we should tell the story of of how we founded an, an angel investor through Lost Code. Sure yeah. okay, this is actually my, my, my favorite story of Lost Code is we, you know, we, like I said, it, our business model was, Connecting small business owners to lawyers. And we had one user, a a guy who was young, first year out of university, starting his first startup. And he went to Law Scout to get incorporated, maybe his website terms of use, some really basic early stage legal work done. And he loved it. And he started telling people about it, including his father, who happened to be the CEO of an investment management company. And on the side was taking up angel investing is a bit of a hobby so it was our user who was completely thrilled with the experience who then had the network including his father who could invest in us and then uh, through that it's how we found our angel investors so it wasn't from us you know doing pitch competitions or you know, trying to track down uh, prominent in- investors. It was from making a customer extremely satisfied and leveraging their networks without us even knowing it until we get the phone call from this guy saying, yeah, I heard about you through my son. Or, <laughs> Will you take my money? And we, we said, yeah, sure. We, we, we accept money around here. <laughs> so I, I think that's uh, that was, you know, and there's a combination of luck and a combination of just good service. And I think those two things put together can uh, can do a lot for you.
0: Yeah, that's a really unique story uh, for getting an investor. That's really funny. <laughs> all
1: right, you, you guys uh, talked about how you uh, all founded Lawscout together and how you worked at a uh, corporate law before that. Can you talk a little bit more about your journeys and how it led you to found founded?
2: Yes. Um, despite our founding team having two lawyers, uh, it's actually the uh, our, our CTO Travis that that was the impetus for starting something in the legal industry so uh, Travis in uh, 2013 was selling his company Yahoo and hired a great law firm but throughout that process really wasn't understanding what was going on you know why did documents need to be faxed why were there five people on every conference call why was the bill so much money and when he had these questions he contacted his two close friends that were lawyers saying is this the way it really happens and we always told him, oh, absolutely. It sounds like they're doing the right job. <laughs> so what he wanted to do was after he worked at Yahoo is, is he wanted to do something in law um, so that we could help him five years ago, right? If, if he had a service like Founded, um, that's what he really wanted. and And that's where the idea came from. And that's where we really all kind of came on board. I think Shane and I both, after having practiced in law firms for the better part of five to seven years each, Uh, we saw the need for change as well. You know, when we dealt with small and medium-sized businesses, they didn't want to come to our offices anymore. They wanted to meet at coffee shops. They wanted to do things online. So this was in, you know, 2013, 14 uh, and 15, we started seeing that change uh, happening and and we're just going to see more of it happening. I think the last three to five months we have seen a huge amount of investment in legal tech. And I think we're starting to finally see that law is this industry that has huge potential that hasn't really been hit yet with not only technology, but a a fundamental shift in the business model. And that's what's coming um, and it's really exciting. And I think it's going to have the same kind of effects that we saw in FinTech that people were really excited about over the last three or four years.
1: Um, how do you go about building uh, platform and platform features that users actually want and kind of like change that over time and how do you develop pricing structures that are that it, it makes sense for people?
3: Yeah, I'll start with pl- platform and features because I think it touches on something Derek just mentioned and our, with our founding team having effectively, two subject area experts, the lawyers, and one person who had a very strong client experience. And I don't think you can build features in a platform without really thinking about it both ways, probably primarily from the client side. I think you see a lot of founders who have subject area expertise and say, you know, I've been in this business for so long, I should, you know, innovate it, start a startup, whatever uh, the plan is, go solo. But once you turn it on the the other way around and say, well, you know, what do my clients want? What, you know, what does the end consumer view as important and unimportant? That I think is where we've, we achieve some success there by really looking at everything from uh, the client or the user experience first. And that has made our, our product even more unique because there's competitive or similar products out there that have designed it far too much thinking about, oh well, how do we make sure that everything works the way a lawyer exact wants it to work? And you know, well, a lawyer has you know these forms or these buttons or you know, this order of doing things. But when you flip that on the other side and say, well, you know, how's the client going to be most assured that this is what they want so I'm, I don't want to talk too specifically about legal because that would be uh, I'm talking about, trying to talk about something a lot more broad than that in just approaching these uh, anything product related primarily from the consumers focus and making the the service provider or the professional viewpoint uh, adapt to that rather than making the user adapt to what the professional would think is is best or, or most compliant
2: you're leaving me the hard question with pricing now yeah, yeah. Uh, Easy answers there, I'm sure. uh, Pricing, I think, is one of the hardest things to do right as uh, a company. Um, When you're thinking of pricing, I think there's a lot of different elements that go into it. So you need to think about it from the consumer's point of view. How much are they willing to spend? uh, What is a comparable cost, whether it's time or money that exists in the market right now? You also need to think about it from a business perspective. If you want to make X amount of money per year, if you're only charging $5 per year, you need a lot of users. So uh, it's it's that dynamic. And then the third piece is, how much does it cost to acquire a customer? And all of these things kind of work together. I, I've asked a lot of other founders on on how they do pricing, and usually the response we get back is it's, black magic, (laughs) right? There's no real way of doing it. And, you know, for our company as well, we've actually iterated on pricing quite a bit over the last two years. And I think we're really happy with where we're sitting now. And uh, entrepreneurs are really happy with with, uh, the pricing model. Um, But it does take a lot of interactions with your customers to understand what they're willing to spend, and then really understanding your market on acquisition costs.
3: When you talk about interacting with the customers, though, I think there's a risk there, especially for startup founders who spend too much time looking at other startups and other startups that get it successful, because often those are coming from different markets, like startups based in the U.S. So when you say, oh, U- Uber's making lots of revenue, at least, and you know their rides are cheap, so we should be cheap and we'll make lots of revenue, it doesn't work the, the other way, because you're comparing yourself to a a business that has nothing remotely in common with you, and there's so many VC-backed SaaS products that are charging three dollars a month, five dollars a month, whatever it is. Yeah, they're they're not intending to make money off that pricing structure. They have a whole bunch of VC money, which at the end of the day helps the consumer because it means we get subsidized Uber rides and and other cheap products. But that isn't their long-term goal. From it, turning it into a money-making business. So, if you can keep prices dirt cheap and get VC money to subsidize your users for you, that's wonderful. But there's probably a total of less than five Canadian companies that are doing that in a way that's sustainable beyond six to ten months. So, uh, so keep that in mind. You, you know, your startup, no matter what your ambitions are, is going to have to make money far sooner than one that is has. You know, brand name Vcs lined out the door to get in on it
1: okay so you're talking uh earlier um, about how you want to distinguish between is your customer the your the lawyers or the actual clients um, how how do you find out who exactly your customers are
3: we we might have been guilty of trying to serve everyone and for for better or worse i I think we've definitely thrown our product out there and very confidently said this is the best way to get legal work done and it doesn't matter if you are a top partner at a bay street firm or if you are a solo entrepreneur just starting out the, for what we do we do it as well as anyone could do it so so we we have and that's not just you know me boasting it's you know, we think we can do this faster more accurately than anyone else so then it comes down to a business decision of who's actually going to buy it. And we do have top Bay Street firms using our, our software and we do have sole entrepreneurs. So it works across multiple groups. It then becomes a matter of, well, who are you going to sell it to? And I think it's partially personal passion is that we did build this business to help entrepreneurs. So that's where we're seeing our, our, our marketing efforts go to. But uh, really, I think there's a part of it is once the product is out there, we've got a, we've got a targeted marketing strategy, but we're always surprised at you know, who comes in the door and says they want to try it out. And we, there's no reason to limit that or cut ourselves off. We're, we're definitely a business for entrepreneurs, but when uh, experienced lawyers come in and say, this is making my life better, we say, well, that's, that's great. It just means the product works.
0: So we'll go into the fun questions now. Um, so uh, what is then your favorite spot in Toronto?
3: Favorite spot in Toronto? I'm I'm looking out the window to the Lake Ontario, even though it's getting dark out, but I'll say uh, the Leslie Spit. Love love biking down the Leslie Spit. like being on the water. Toronto's very much a, a water city. We just don't always uh, appreciate this beautiful body of water we have. So when, when I go down to the Leslie Spit in the summer, it does remind me of the uh, incredible geographical location we are here in Toronto.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And what is your favorite street in Toronto? Well, we were talking
2: about this earlier and I, I you know, I wasn't going to say Kensington originally, but I think <laughs> Kensington is a really good answer because when I think of Toronto and what makes it unique, uh, I think Kensington is just this perfect mix of everything that makes Toronto wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's on a street, so we can we can say Augusta as a, as a street, but that whole area I think is wonderful, and it's something that's entirely uniquely Toronto. Yeah. So when we have, you know, friends or colleagues that come in from London or or New York, showing them Kensington and walking around,
3: they're they're blown away by it.
1: All right, uh, what were your very first jobs?
3: I did a lot of just like raking leaves shoveling walks mowing lawns from from a really young age uh, i was always i was doing that i think that was my first entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial endeavor yeah I, I delivered papers
2: when i was i think in junior high uh and i also yeah and then uh i also did a lot of uh reffing or umpiring in sports so whether it was umping baseball or refing soccer or hockey. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of that when I was, when I was younger.
1: And uh, what advice do you have for any entrepreneurs?
2: It's a little critical, but it's, you know, your idea is worthless. <laughs> and uh, it's action that makes a difference. Uh, a lot of different people around the world can have the same idea, and it really comes down to the way you think about it from a business perspective, the way you interact with customers, and that's what makes the difference. Um, and you're only going to get there by uh, doing it. And it doesn't mean you need to go all in immediately, but you do need to take action uh, and, you do, and you do need to kind of um, get feedback on the idea from others as well. And that does include asking people for money, because if you say to anyone, do you think this is a good idea? Would you use it? Inevitably, if they're close with you, they will say, yes, that's a great idea. Of course, I would use it. And that's not very helpful. Yeah. So.
0: I have one more question. Um, so you guys said you met 20 years ago. How did you all meet?
3: Well, we're all originally from Calgary, of all places. Um, I I, I met Derek and Travis in various capacities through playing music. I was uh, always in punk rock bands growing up, and Uh, Travis was at one point in a punk rock band, and I met Derek, and he wasn't in a punk rock band, but I invited him to join my punk rock band, (laughs) so at some point, we were all playing punk rock music, uh, which is something I've still managed to do on a regular basis, Uh, but it it really was. I know you guys went to school together and everything, but it was really, in my mind, just through relationships I'd built as as a teenager playing punk rock in Western Canada.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, thank you guys so much. It was really great to get to interview you both because we both obviously love the service and it's been really great like building a relationship with you guys. So thank you.
3: Thanks so much for having us. This has been fun. Thank you.
0: We wanted to thank you so much for coming in. We had such a great time interviewing you for Floater Founder.
1: And thank you so much to our listeners. We are so excited to share more founder stories with you.
0: Until next time.